I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for your continuous support. And as always, if I could just ask you to do one thing, please just mention this podcast, share it, have a conversation with someone about it, a colleague, a friend, a family, someone who you think is going to get some value from all the amazing wisdom and experience we share from our guests. Now, today I'm talking to Dr. Danny Brussel. Now, he has spoken to over 3,500 audiences worldwide, and he's authored 16 books, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. Enjoying his time as a classroom teacher, reading tutor, non-profit leader, professor and education administrator, Dan has incorporated his reading secret philosophy to great avail. This includes training over 10,000 parents, volunteers and community leaders in a one-to-one approach to assist struggling and reluctant readers, consulting with top school districts on ways to boost student achievement and community morale, and delivering presentations to promote reading to audiences, companies and business professionals from all over the world. Today, Danny is America's leading reading ambassador and shares his incredible 20 plus years of education experiences and success models to empower leaders, teams and audiences to achieve extraordinary results. Danny's keynotes and presentations have earned a reputation of being high energy, enthusiastic, creative, applicable and highly motivating. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Dr. Danny Brussel. Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's great to chat to people across the other side of the pond, as well as obviously people from here in here in the UK. So, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Thanks for spreading some joy in the world. We need a lot more of you. It's uh, very kind. Thank you. And I just want to start with this sense of of what you do with your different hats on, as it were, and what those common goals are. So that idea of talking to audiences with that kind of business speaker hat, as opposed to speaking to educators or speaking to government and organisations, what what's different about those things? But what's the, probably more importantly, what's the thing that kind of is common in all of those things, which is just essentially about learning and that kind of motivation and drawing people into that that frame of mind that we want for that, getting a positive message out to the world? Yeah, I think probably the uh, common thread, Mark, is just spreading some joy to uh, education and the workplace. There's a lot of people feeling down right now, and uh, I'm just trying to get people to have a laugh a little bit. Uh, remember, take your job seriously. Don't take yourself seriously, because you ain't all that, and neither am I. And if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for one week. Those little ones will set you straight. Uh, <laughs> I once I once had one of my little girls, LaShonda, raises her hand, and she's like, Mr. Purcell, when are you going to... Uh, trim your nose hair I'm like uh, this afternoon thanks for bringing that to my attention LaShonda <laughs> I ain't all that <laughs> exactly and you're really glad that you planned all that all that planning all that marking yes. all, the, all those things exactly yes, I mean, let's course. have a real conversation about real life and yes. <laughs> what's going on <laughs> fantastic so so tell me how does that how does that joy come through 
in, in terms of what it is that you're you're trying to to share is is it about like say just not taking it seriously is it about a perspective thing what 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 does that message well what does that message come from at the heart of it well really what people hire me for mark like schools will hire me because uh they they want me to make sure their teachers and their principals aren't quitting because uh here in, on this side of the pond we're getting people leaving in masses it's been really tough uh it was probably tough before the pandemic but it's been double doubly tough since the pandemic uh people are hurting um really one of my specialties has always been communication skills and so one of the blessings of the pandemic was i've always kind of resisted coaching because i'm a person that has a very high standard and i hold people to that standard and i i you know i'm not a person that can coach you and just let you off i'm like i actually want you to succeed <laughs> it, it bothers me if you don't succeed i actually will keep my, i actually have uh, three of my coaching people right now i'm like on their backs i'm like get this done so you can go and so uh, uh, reading has always been my specialty, really uh, helping get kids uh, excited about reading. Uh, but when I used to teach English as a second language, I used to always point out to my students, there's four aspects of communications. There's, uh, there's listening, there's speaking, there's reading, and there's writing. And so when I got into the, the business marketplace, I really help a lot of uh, business people in improving their speaking skills so that they can uh, make that perfect pitch or uh, make a presentation in front of conference or really just have that successful one-on-one -on -one interview. Uh, and then a lot of them want me to help them with writing their books and things like that. Uh, so it's been a little bit different, but really been really the the big common thread for me is uh my my reading program uh really kind of exploded during the pandemic since millions of parents were forced to involuntarily homeschool their children and i actually thought there was a blessing in that um, i've always thought mark that schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read but the question i always ask people is what good is it teaching a person how to read if they never want to read I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. It's the same thing with uh, business executives, by the way. Uh, they all tell me the same thing. Oh, I don't have time to read. I'm like, yeah, well, it's time to read after you watch the game on TV, have a couple of beers, go out shopping. I'm like, you know, there's no such thing as time management. There's only priority management. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what is it that you think that kind of resistance to reading is, especially from from a child's point of view? Is it is it the mindset? Is it the fact that they often have to read things they don't want to? So they, they kind of have that sort of disconnect between the fact this is exciting, it's informative, it's something you can get engrossed in because that's not their experience. What, how have you sort of come across that? Yeah, ding, ding, ding. You win the, the, the golden ticket there, Mark. Uh, I think schools really kind of uh, force feed kids to read certain things. I mean, when you look at struggling and reluctant readers, four out of five of them are boys. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, most teachers of young students are, are women, and they tend to read the types of books that they enjoy which are very different than the types of books that boys like to enjoy. Boys are, and don't get me wrong, I think Little Women is a wonderful book, but if you want a little boy to read that book, you better put diarrhea in the title. Uh, <laughs> boys like different things. Uh, I was recently doing an interview for Nigerian television, and so Nigeria was a, a, a British colon, it was colonized for s several years by the British. I, I think it finally 
you know, became independent back in the 60s, but it still uses a British schooling system. And so kids are being forced to read Shakespeare and Jane Austen and Charles Dickens. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. I, three of my favorite authors. But maybe uh, kids in Nigeria would appreciate reading Chinua Achebe and some other Nigerian authors, uh, you know, uh, one of the points I make to people is the little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to be a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare. you got to get the kid hooked on it first. And so that's what I'm always uh, uh, paying attention to. When I taught second grade, I had a little boy, Kiara, and Kiara's first grade teacher, Mark, told me, uh, Kiara don't know nothing. I'm like, well... Thank you for that. Well, Kiara, who didn't know anything, uh, uh, comes into my class one day. He's like, hey, Miss Purcell, you see Barkley last night? He had 18 points and 16 rebounds. I'm like, thank you, Kiara, because from that day forward, every day after lunch, I'd sit Kiara on my lap. We'd read the LA Times sports page together. And by the end of the year, wouldn't you know, Kiara was one of my best readers. And all that boy I ever read about was sports. You know, you got to find out what a kid's interested in. And again, I'm not saying that uh, the classics aren't important. I love the classics. But uh, when I was in high school, I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, which is about uh, Hester Prynne commits adultery and she has to wear an A on her chest. And I raised my hand and I asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that. <laughs> and I think that's what happens is people then start to associate reading with boredom and they don't they don't seek it as a pleasure activity and I think that's the thing about learning generally isn't it is that when you're doing project-based related things when you're doing stuff that's about what you're learning in your local community whether it's in your class your school sort of outside of the school gates but within your community it becomes relevant and at that point you want to get involved and you want to find out more and you you know how to get yourself in that environment to, to get the best out of what you're trying to do yeah. um and and i guess that, that's the same in that sort of reading scenario like you said if i'm interested in football then i'm i want to go and find out more about that and and it's relevant to what i'm doing because i like this team or i like to follow this player or and like you say where you can read it doesn't have to be this particular looking book if it's in the paper if it's on social media or, or whatever it happens to be depending on the age of the child or whatever anything which is just getting you involved and interested in that like you say it's that gateway that's going to sort of help you do that and so sort of following through from that do you find educators are, are willing to allow that door to be opened and and walk through it as a supportive thing or is it something people think yeah that's a good idea but I've still got to make sure that they get through this test and that means reading this or doing that in this particular way yeah, one of the things that drew me to your podcast, Mark, is that you and I are kindred spirits. We're looking at uh, more innovative ways, project-based learning, ways to, I, I mean, I really believe interest drives learning. And I always tell kids, you know, I want you to be naturally curious, a lifelong learner. I don't I don't care if you're doing it for a grade because uh, that doesn't really mean anything. Who, care, who cares if you can fill in all these bubbles? Uh, that doesn't mean anything. I, I read biographies all the time, and one of the frustrating things to me, Mark, is that the common element with most successful people is they dropped out of school, which tells me, what, what are we doing wrong in school? Why, why couldn't we support that kid's interest? You know, there's all kinds of ways to follow the student's interest. It's tough, you know, but I've always told people, you know, education's easy, but 
being a good educator is very tough. It's tough to be a really good teacher because if you have 33 students, you basically have 33 totally unique learners and you have to figure out, uh, you know, I've always said uh, students are a lot like automobiles. They all require their own type of gasoline, petrol, uh, and some students are a little bit higher octane than other students. And so we have to find what meets the needs of every single student. And I, so getting back to your question for educators, I think that there's a lot of roadblocks to a, an educator that's trying to do things outside the system. Uh, but I've never seen that inspirational teaching movie where they're like, he went to the inner city and he inspired his students by using the government's mandatory scripted program. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> you know, it's, it's usually they use poetry or they use song and dance. I mean, you and I are, are both fans of Sir Ken Robinson. I mean, his 20 minute Ted talk, I, I just felt like a Baptist in the front row saying, amen, amen. I mean, why aren't we looking at, uh, you know, I, I, I was watching a teacher and she was giving out worksheets to the kids and the kids were totally bored. And I'm like, wow, you could have these kids design their own company, create their own website. And rather than spending the 20 minutes that they would spend on a useless worksheet that's going in one ear and out the other, they could spend, you know, a hundred hours of excitement putting together a business and a website and learning actual skills. I mean, here in America, it drives me nuts. Kids graduate with calculus but they don't know how to balance a checkbook. And I'm not saying calculus isn't important, but balancing a checkbook is very important as well. Let's keep, let's show kids how they're using these different skills and get them excited on, oh, well, by, by learning this, you'll be able to do this. <laughs> yeah, and I'd say it's back to that kind of, it makes sense because that's what you need to do. Because <laughs> if, if you take it purely as a numbers game, you're more likely to need to balance your checkbook. Um, and understand finance in a way that's going to help you with your bank and your mortgage and your loans or whatever it is that you need it to do than necessarily calculus. And like I say, these things are important as well, but mm -hmm. it, it's that kind of what you need most of most of the time. And I think I think then it becomes, it, like I say, it becomes relevant and, and how that works. So with all that in mind, how have you then gone about being an author and actually writing your own books? How have you kind of taken all that wisdom and put it in a way that you you think people are gonna yeah i'm gonna pick this up because it, it's gonna really speak to me well so that's a great question mark um i always wanted to be an author i was a journalist before i was a teacher and uh, i always wanted to see my name on the spine of a book and it drove me nuts the first book i co-wrote with another author and uh they published it in a book with a, a uh one of those uh <laughs> Uh, spiral notebook spines. Yeah. I'm like, I don't see my name on the spine. It drove me nuts. And uh, so it, it prompted me. I'm now up to, I've written 16 at this point. I'm on, uh, I'm writing 17 and 18 right now. Uh, when I was a middle school teacher, I, I was the first teacher in the history of my school not to have any students tardy. And the reason was because I always started class with a Paul Harvey story. I don't think you're familiar with him in, uh, in England, but in America, uh, Paul Harvey would come on the radio when I was a kid every day at 1215 and say, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. Uh, and he'd read this five minute story and you're trying to guess who he's talking about or what company he's talking about. He passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 325 years old, but I always loved listening to him. <laughs> and uh, I would read his, his books and the kids loved it, but he would talk about people like Sears and Roebuck and JC Penney and like kids today have no idea what that is. These are companies that are non-existent. And so the, the last book that I wrote uh, was called Leadership Begins with Motivation. 
And uh, this is basically an updated version of, of that type of uh, story. So it's about people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Sarah Blakely and people that kids can relate to uh, today. And actually the book I'm writing, it was interesting because after I wrote this book, I was reading it and I'm like, huh, completely unintentionally, I, I realized so many of my examples were of white male Americans, and I'm like, well, that's messed up. And so the book I'm writing right now is primarily female minorities and international examples. I'm having a lot of fun uh, uh, researching this book and coming up with some really cool stories that uh, kids will be excited. But that what prompts me is, uh, you know, as Toni Morrison said, if uh, if there's a if there's a book that you've always wanted to read that isn't out there, then you have to write it. And so. Uh, I, I love uh, working with kids trying to figure out what is it that interests you. And I think there's a lot of books out there. Uh, I, actually, I think there's a ton of books out there that just kids aren't familiar with. I think even teachers aren't familiar with all the great books out there. There's literally a book written for anything a, a kid needs. And uh, so that's my my small contribution in the millions of books that are published every year. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's really important. I had, um, we had, um, I'm, I'm, um, Vice Chair of the National Association for Primary Education here in the UK. Um, and Teresa Kremen gave um, a talk as part of our, our Christian Schiller lecture series. Um, and it was on about um, reading. And and one of the things that she, she was sort of pointing out was, like you said, there are so many books out there, but so many children and teachers only know a certain amount. You know, this is yeah. what we do. This is what children like. So we'll just make sure they all read these things or they know everyone knows that everyone's read this. So therefore we'll just read the next one in the series. Um, and just sort of having that ability just to have a more eclectic range of things on your bookshelf, which you yeah. can then pick out and start talking about really sort of does open that door because otherwise you like to say it becomes very narrow. And I think because they want children to read, they think, well, we know that this author is really popular. So therefore we'll yeah. make sure that they can do that. So they'll read one, but it almost comes, doesn't become a self-fulfilling prophecy in a positive way. It becomes slightly negative because you then don't quite get that diversity in the course. If we're trying to open up people's worlds, you want that curiosity to leap into the unknown a little bit, like you say, which is where that interest sort of idea needs to be led. Yeah, I would love to have like schools where we have conversations like this, where uh, even if you just had amongst your faculty, everybody for 10 minutes sharing their favorite books to read. Because when I listen to people, oh, I've never even heard of that book. I mean, uh, I'm thinking of books, uh, probably my favorite book. Uh, I'm trying to think of some British books for you that I just uh, I, I'm enamored with. Uh, one of them is Tadpole's Promise by Jeannie Willis. Jeannie Willis is a British comedian and she cracks me up. And it's about uh, a caterpillar who's in love with a tadpole and, and caterpillar. She looks at Tadpole and she's like, Tad, I love you. Make me one promise. Promise me you'll never change. And Tadpole says, oh, I, I love you, Caterpillar. I promise. Well, what happens? Tadpole starts to change. And Caterpillar, she says, you lied to me. And she dumps him. And she climbs up the tree. And she forms a cocoon. And a couple weeks later, she emerges from the cocoon, from the chrysalis, as a, a butterfly. And she realizes all of us change. And she feels bad about being so harsh with cat with Tadpole. So she flies down to apologize and and Tadpole is now a bullfrog and he sticks out his tongue and he eats her. The end. And my kindergartners are like, what? And I'm like, be nice to each other, kids. <laughs> this is why you don't want me teaching your kids. I have a very demented sense of humor, but uh, I just, I, I, I get such a kick out of that. There's so many people. I mean, like, that's the thing is we all know the big, 
you know, the greatest hits. We know Roald Dahl, we know uh, Jane Austen, but we don't know the little Jeannie Willis's. We know J.K. Rowling, but we don't know uh, some of the, the smaller people out there. And it, I, I, I get excited because I'm like, wow, there really are a lot of uh, great, and this is why I like to be around diverse people too, because they read diverse things. I'm uh, among the many hats I wear. I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo. Say that five times fast. And um, every time I'm there, I, I, I get the to go out and, and speak to schools. And it was it was great, Mark. Um, I spoke at my first uh, uh, Islamic school, and uh, it was a parent training at two in the afternoon. 400 parents showed up and it was like the Muslim Brotherhood. All the guys had the long beards and all the women were in burqas. And we were talking like you and I are talking right now. I'm like, well, shame on me. I had all these preconceptions and I, I started my speech. I said, so I was reading this book the other day. Have any of you ever read the Quran? And they all start laughing. I'm like, oh, well, then you know the story when the angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad in the cave. What's his first instruction of Muhammad? Because the first pillar of Islam is to read. And so I looked at the parents and I said, so not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your most sacred text that it's your duty to get your kids reading. And I had 400 heads bobbing in agreement. And I'm like, holy cow, Mark, who would have thought the Christian dude from America, his best audiences are Muslim schools. I mean, I now speak to Muslim schools all over the world. They're probably my favorite audiences. But that's that's what you were talking about is getting from these getting to to hear from these diverse points of view. I think uh, people that are narrow-minded, I, I, I just feel so bad for their ignorance. I'm like, wow, expose yourself, listen to some positive podcasts, read some good books, feed your mind with things other than uh, cable news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things that comes up so much here on the podcast is the fact that what people relate to, and, and certainly sort of children to teachers, but I think more generally as well, is that it's the person that, saw them you know they understood who they were a little bit like you were saying earlier about sort of do, doing the sort of the idea of reading the LA Times it's, it's that kind of ah not only do I know what you're interested in but I we can have a conversation that starts the day based on on a on a human interaction albeit maybe I'm the teacher and you're and you're the pupil but it starts on a, on a kind of a here and now you understand that which opens the door to different conversations and maybe them being able to confide in you if need be or or that sense of oh, you get me, this is great, so I'm going to trust you in order. So if you do say, how about reading this book, which they may not have come across before, they're going to go, well, if he thinks it's a good idea, then then I'm going to take that leap of faith. And it's, like I say, it's it's broadening those horizons, but it's also having a sense of, let's let's start on this interaction, which, like I say, can start with a joke, can start with, with just sort of, say, opening that door and changing those preconceived ideas, whether it's the person in your class or whether, like I say, you're talking to the masses on a, on a big stage or, or online. Yeah, and I think also going going off of that as well, Mark, is not just looking at what do kids like to read. I'll talk to kids about, well, where do you like to read? Um, when do you like to read? I mean, my, my online reading program, when I'm giving tips to parents, those are a couple of things I say, well, we'll keep these things in mind. You know, uh, the average person spends at least 15 minutes a day on the toilet in the restroom. So I say, we'll have some books available next to the toilet so your kid can read something while they're on the toilet. Uh, we can get some reading in there. Um, you know, most kids uh, don't have anything at the at the breakfast table to read except the back of the cereal box. And so I say, we'll have some books on the table or some magazines or something. 
Um, probably the best tip that I give to, to parents is uh, when you turn on the television set, turn on the closed captioning so the kids are reading while they're watching television. And people say, well, wait a second, the show's in English and the subtitles are in English. What good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point, but have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain is directed towards the text, and there's actually research to support this. If you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, the lower their reading scores are in every single country except for one. The country that kids watch the most TV has the highest reading scores in the world. It's Finland. And people say, well, how can that be? I'm like, well, Finland makes really bad TV shows, and so they have to import all these old uh, uh, American sitcoms like the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island, and they put them in subtitles. The kids are reading constantly, and so that's an easy tip for any parent. Uh, I have three children of my own, Mark, and I established the habit very young that the kids, they can turn on the TV, but the price of admission is they have to bring me something to read. And so even today, my kids are teenagers now. Now they bring me their iPad with like an article on it, but it used to be they'd bring me like a children's picture book. We'd read the children's picture book. Then they can turn on the TV. I, I'm just trying to establish some positive habits. And that's what, when I'm working with parents, I'm like, all we have to do is to, it's called habit stacking. Let's figure out a habit that's already established and let's figure out a way to stack reading onto that habit. And so, you know, where are the kids spending their time? Well, how can we have them associate this time and place always with, oh, and this is when I read, or this is when I listen to, to uh, books while I'm reading, things like that. And, and the, the cereal packet thing is amazing, isn't it? Because I don't know a child that doesn't read a cereal packet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and bearing in mind the cereal packet, I know they do change, you know, sort of seasonally or, or whatever but generally they're, they're, re they're reading the same thing every morning because there's right. the packets there for a while but they all want to and they all do that and one of the things that we did was we had a joke book on our dining room table mm. so it, it was that kind of we can all do it it's very short but it kind of it changes the atmosphere of the day and you know sets us up well it's good it's a good fun thing to do but it just was that kind of thing we all want to have a go at this and we we think it's a good idea That's and right. and it was done it was done not necessarily in a way to support reading per se, but I think it was in, in, in some ways because it was, it was a way of being able to say it's something we can participate in together at whatever level we are because the youngest one we could support with the reading, mm -hmm. the older ones could, could do it on their own. But the common goal was the fact we wanted to say something funny which is going to make us laugh. And so that way it didn't become a, a hierarchical thing. It was just a, an enjoyable thing to share but with the sort of, I say, the sort of added bonuses when we're going to be reading as well. I love where you went with that, Mark, because you're, you're broadening the definition of literacy. That's what I tell people is most people, when you think of reading, you think of reading Dostoevsky, but reading can be jokes. Reading can be a quick little newspaper article or reading can be uh, an advert, uh, you know, uh, billboards while you're driving. And so that's what I want people thinking about is when people say kids are illiterate nowadays, I'm like, that's wrong. I, I can tell you right now. The average kid in 2022 is being inundated with so much more print than a kid in the 18th century by, by far. It's just you have to broaden that that definition of literacy. I mean, they're not reading, you know, like the Bible and uh, uh, some, you know, the Magna Carta. They're reading, you know, lots of little things. I, I think jokes are a great way because uh, you can get in a lot of uh, minutes reading jokes. Uh, that's why I give... I give little boys trading cards because they'll memorize all the facts on these trading cards because they're interested in it. 
and also they're presenting, aren't they? That's the other mm-hmm. thing because they're you know Absolutely. they're literally holding court like that. They're, there's so That's many right. skills there which they don't realise they're doing, but it's given them some amazing amazing skills. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I just wanted to touch on because I find this fascinating is is the empowerment thing, which of course you know when you're speaking and that kind of thing. How do you sort of get the the empowerment that you might pass on to teachers? You know, educators who are leaving. The, the the venue or, or or your sort of um online course and then just saying yeah wow I'm, I'm going for this but then what happens the next day in the in the day after how do you sort of transition that kind of yes we've got the empowerment with those next steps that kind of keep everything progressing in the in the days weeks months um sort of that follow yeah so the the word that i use is priority so i read the book essentialism by greg McKeown, which i loved it you don't have to read it i already read it there was a there was a line in that book that changed my life mark he said in greek the word priority can only be used in the singular and that changed my life because every day i give myself one priority that i have to get done i can get other stuff done but i have to get the priority done and i get so much more done now that i give myself one priority a day and so like for example last week i was speaking to a large school district and i said you're going to get hundreds of ideas today and tomorrow i want you to implement one not two not three one and i want you to do really well on that one and once you feel like you've done a great job with that one i want you to add one more just one at a time like baby steps. People get inundated. They get overwhelmed with way too much. Uh, I mean, I see teachers, you know, they'll go to a conference, you get excited. You see a lot of stuff and you try it all one day and not everything works. And so you give up on everything. I'm like, well, it's because you tried everything at once. You need to just try one thing. And then well, that that doesn't work very well. Let's try out one, one other thing. And I think that's that's where a lot of us have to slow down. I mean, and I always point out to teachers, I'm like, you're all more successful than I was because I left. I left the classroom and it was because, uh, you know, I, I, I was getting beaten up. I taught in a school. I was the only man at my school. I was the only white person at my school. I taught with predominantly elderly African-American women from the South who all had been teaching for 20 years. And they were great. And they were a great support system. I loved my students. Uh, I really had great relationships with most of the parents of my students. What really got me out of education was bureaucracy. And I have a mouth on me. And I always, when I was confronted with leadership, I'd say, if the answer to my question is not, because this is what's best for this student, why are we doing it? <laughs> I always said that. And uh, people don't like people that ask questions like that. <laughs> yeah, so there's a few things resonating there for me. <laughs> That's probably a whole different podcast on a whole different series. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. And I think also, um, it's a little bit like you were mentioning with your habit forming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because it's that, oh, I'm already doing something that's working, but I'm going to change it slightly. Or like say, this idea is really resonating with me and let's assume it's one that actually is going to work for you because like you say sometimes they don't but then once it becomes embedded that just becomes your benchmark then and then you can do those those next things and i think those small increments are uh, are so incredibly important i love that idea that prioritize is a is a singular yeah. thing that's uh i'm definitely going to take that on board for sure there you go you're not you're not stealing it you're liberating it i always tell teachers i i never steal ideas from other teachers i liberate them and expose my students to that idea absolutely well that's that, that's what we're doing here on the podcast right. it's about sharing that wisdom and that's right. and those ideas that help people you know? and, I, and i and i love the diversity there it might be like say some massive mind-blowing idea or it might be something which is just so small but can mm-hmm. can have that 
complete change of philosophy which unlocks a whole myriad of things that you'd never be able to do without that sort of little golden nugget mm-hmm. so I'm always interested, especially people that have been and are involved with education. What was valuable about your school experience or is there a teacher that you remember particularly and, and why was that so impactful? Yeah, I was very blessed. My mentor was Mrs. Turner. Mrs. Turner had been teaching for 40 years. Mrs. Turner was from Alabama. She believed in two things, discipline and the Bible. When her little ones got out of line, she started reading aloud revelations to them. And it was this beautiful woman who was my guardian angel, who took me under her wing, and she taught me how to bring joy into my classroom. And I thought it was such a great uh, exposure for the little ones because uh, they got to have diversity. I think every kid needs diverse experiences. They had young, energetic white guy who didn't know what he was doing, an elderly African-American woman who was old school, hard as nails. And I thought, and is she also taught me something that's really important, Mark, is that uh, teaching style is very overrated. Um, everybody's a little bit different and that's why I always you know when I'm training teachers they'll come up to me a lot of times and say well I'm not like you Danny I'm not as energetic and and funny as you are and I'm like whoa 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 if you're not funny don't tell jokes <laughs> what I mean by that is you got to be you you're the only you you know some of the best teachers I've seen you know they might appear like boring and hard-nosed or whatever but they're really good teachers and I would do anything to get my kid in their classroom and so that's one of the things I tell people you know don't try too hard to, to just be somebody else really be you uh, and that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna stay a lot longer is by being you you can't you can't last for 40 years trying to be other people yeah so the teaching style isn't something you learn it's something that you grow into as an extension of yourself or, or authentically yourself i guess it's yeah. probably a better way of putting absolutely it. Mm-hmm. um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or maybe what advice would you give a, a younger danny now look, looking back with a more experienced hat on yeah jk rowling in one of the harry potter books has a great quote she says don't let the muggles get you down and uh, that's a good piece of advice i think uh what really got me out of education was uh, administration being so negative all the time and me just, uh, I, I, I mean, I remember the day that I resigned. I, uh, I had a, one of my most gifted and talented boys was a, a little boy named Jonathan and uh, I was having a parent conference with his mother, a single mother, raising him and his older sister, working three jobs. I always tell people, just because uh, you don't see a parent doesn't mean they don't care. Uh, I've worked with intoxicated parents, I've worked with incarcerated parents, but I've never once worked with a parent that doesn't love hearing me tell them nice things about their kid. And Jonathan's mother looked at me, Mark, and she asked me a question I wasn't prepared to answer. She said, uh, Miss Purcell, Jonathan looks at you like a father. If you were his daddy, what would you recommend that I do? And the word that came out of my mouth was move because her son was gifted and talented and my school district did not have a gifted and talented program. And I knew if Jonathan stayed at my school, he was getting Miss Hampton next year and she was gonna destroy this young man because Miss Hampton is a direct descendant of Darth Vader. And uh, I realized that that's what I believed I needed to resign, which I did that day. I wound up teaching the rest of the year, but that was it for me in the classroom. And I went into a deep depression uh, for several months over it. I wound up accepting a position at the university, started training teachers and administrators, and finally my mom, 
who's a peppy person, she gave me a pep talk and she's like, don't you see, Danny, don't you see, now your job is to pump up other teachers so they don't quit. You're going to affect so many more kids this way. And that's what I... That's why I do what I do for a living. I mean, if you read the newspaper or watch the, the news on TV, they want to blame every single problem on teachers. And I would suggest to any of those critics to do the job of a teacher for one week. They'll have a much better perspective of uh, what teachers are having to, to deal with all the time. Um, so that, that would be the best piece of advice is, uh, you know, uh, one of my mentors, Charlie Tremendous, Jones said, you're the same today as you will be in five years, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So I always tell people, make sure to pick people that are going to lift you up and make sure you're reading things that are also going to feed your mind with positivity because uh, that stuff sticks with you. Yeah, I love that. And it just opened a, a door for me there in terms of what you were saying about leaving the profession, but then helping the profession. In, 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 in kind of a, a, a larger way, I guess, in terms of the work that you're doing. So what do you think is the answer for some people who are thinking of leaving, but not just to go and do a completely different job, but want to support the education system in a slightly different way? I guess that's what I'm doing in lots of ways. You know, mm -hmm. we're talking about conversations and, and, and ways that you can bring new things in. But I guess if everyone does that, then there's no teaching profession at all. That's right. But, um, so where does that sort of dichotomy sort of fit with you in terms of when you should stick with it, when, like you say, you feel like the answer is to change or have a different focus and, and how you can then support yourself, I guess, first and foremost, and how that then feeds back into education as a whole? Yeah, I, I, by no means do I want people to leave the classroom. I mean, we need really good teachers. I always tell people my job is to keep great teachers in schools. If you're not great, leave. We don't want you. You know, I don't, I don't want some uh, dead weight uh bringing down the kids for a long time. But I think it's really important that you make it fun for you. And if you're just following orders and you're, you know, think of yourself as a soldier, just because they tell you to uh, ransack a village doesn't mean you don't use your brain and say, well, wait a second, I don't think that's something I want to do. I don't think that's, that's right. You know, a good soldier also questions orders. I mean, we know this you know, in history that some of the best orders, uh, I was just reading a story the other day about uh, a guy in the, in the Soviet Union in the 80s where the, there was a, they had a new system and he saw five missiles coming from the United States and he could have pressed the button to retaliate. But he's like, why would America just send five missiles at the Soviet Union? If they were attacking us, they probably would send hundreds. And so he didn't retaliate. And it turned out it was a, it was a, it was a, a problem with the system. And this guy basically saved us all from World War III. And I can't even remember his name. And I just read the story. You don't know his name. And I'm like, the guy saved the world. But we need people like that. We need people that actually question authority all the time. Like, huh, I don't think this is right. There's something wrong about this. I'm not going to do this. Um, I know this is kind of a, a roundabout answer, but everybody's a little bit different. You have to figure out where you're at. And some people want to teach for, for 40 years and we need them. That's great. Some people, they, they get in the classroom. And what I like is people that get in the classroom and they're not going to stay there forever. But now that they leave the classroom, they have a better understanding of what education is and they can affect it from the outside. And you already addressed this, Mark. You and I are now addressing it from the outside in our own little ways. Um, you know, but you don't even have to get into a business of education. And once you become a parent, you can you can be an advocate for the teachers at your school and for for good programs. I mean, I was being interviewed the other day 
and uh, the broadcaster asked me, well, what do you think is the best way to educate kids, Danny? Public schools, private schools, or charter schools? And my answer was yes. <laughs> and the reason is, you know, some kids, a public school is the best thing for them. Some kids, a vocational school is what's best for them. Some kids, uh, you know, I've been to Montessori schools that are good. I've been to Waldorf schools that are good. Uh, you know, some kids are better if they're homeschooled. You know, every kid's different, though. And that's great. We should be embracing that. I, I get excited. If we were all the same, the pandemic would have wiped us out. But we're not the same. We're all a little bit different. And we need to start emphasizing, hey, this is good that we're all different. I think we're finally starting, I hope that now that we're in the 21st century, people are starting to recognize, wow, this is kind of cool that we're all a little bit different. Uh, I, I, I get really excited being around people that think differently than me. And so, again, this is a very roundabout answer to your question, very simple question. But, you know, everybody has a different role. Uh, when I was a teacher, I used to ask my kids, what's more important, your arms or your legs? The kids are like, huh? And I'm like, here's the answer. They're both important. <laughs> and so all of us have our role. And I guess the advice is the advice that my parents gave me, which is we don't care what you do, but do your, do your best at whatever you do. And uh, so that's probably the best wisdom for everybody out there. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I, and I think, you know, if, if the large proportion of people are not wanting there to be, you know, standardized testing and, and, and everyone having to, you know, be focused in the same kind of way it makes perfect sense that you you embrace that diversity in terms of, of how you learn no matter like say public school private school charter school or, or wherever you happen to be being schooled in, in the world whether it's homeschooling or anywhere or just online even if it's working for you and you actually able to take the best of all of those things to give yourself the best of what you want and bearing in mind we're learning all of our life not just while we're in school as well then that's quite freeing I think it's quite difficult for people sometimes but I think it's incredibly freeing and then very supportive for however how education all in, evolve naturally in that way and I think mm -hmm. that's always the the big thing about you know we might want a magic wand for it all to change for everybody but actually all we can do is affect the person we're talking to today and all those conversations will have that sort of groundswell movement of of change in a positive way fingers crossed so we all have a resource that we that we like and like to recommend is there a, a film video song book podcast something which has um had a had an impact that you'd like to share with us well i do want to give everybody a thank you for uh bearing with me uh during this interview so uh if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com freegiftfromdanny.com i'm going to give everybody two gifts first of all i'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book read lead and succeed which is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. And so I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. And then uh, I'm also going to give everybody access to what uh, last summer I did a five day reading challenge online for about 700 parents around the world where every day for an hour uh, parents can come watch me and for an hour I'm going to give you all kinds of tips on how to get your kid excited about reading because the more excited we get kids to read, the more likely they are to read. 
and the more you read, the better you get. So those are my gifts at freegiftfromdanny.com. And I just really appreciate all you're doing, Mark. Uh, I love conversations like this, and uh, hopefully we benefited somebody that's struggling out there. For sure. Well, th thank you so much indeed. And um, the, the acronym FIRE is really important to us. And I think probably out of the feedback, inspiration, resilience and empowerment, I guess empowerment is the one that you'd you'd put your hat on for all the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Fantastic. Danny, thank you so much indeed. It's always a privilege to chat to someone who's so enthusiastic about education in whichever way they come. And, and I think what you did and mentioned just there at the end about the fact they were able to affect everyone worldwide in, in this sort of global education situation we are, whether it's online, whether it's a book or wherever we can get these resources, um, it's an incredible um, achievement. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all you do, Mark. Keep on doing it. God bless. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.